Welcome to the seventh episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode explores the short-term economics of independence. Thank you for joining me for Show Me the Money, How Independent Advisors Monetize in the Short Term. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. Anecdotally speaking, in a perfect world, most advisors would describe their version of utopia as being independent. They all want more freedom, flexibility, and control, but not necessarily going fully independent, but moving toward a model that gives them more of what they want. And many looking for the entrepreneurial spirit to customize the client service experience more than anything. So what keeps most of these folks from realizing their dream? In almost every case, it's about the economics. Either the unvested deferred comp they walk away from, the money they owe to their firm, retirement they're afraid of putting at risk, or an inability or unwillingness to place much value on anything but the short term. And the truth is, so long as big firms are out there offering Uber or outsized transition packages, advisors will continue to compare the short-term economics of independence against taking a deal from another major firm. Before a decade ago, except in very rare instances and exceptions, most advisors just accepted their lot as employees under the belief that there were no other options. They either stayed in place or chose to move between wirehouses or major firms, but they almost never went independent because the ability to monetize in the short term was virtually nil. Fast forward to today, and countless models have been born that allow would-be independent advisors or breakaway brokers to take anywhere from little to mega chips off the table in the short run. This has been an industry game changer and undoubtedly a good part of the reason why we've seen so many corner office teams or the biggest advisors in the industry go independent. We absolutely expect this trend to not only continue, but to accelerate. So how does an advisor realize the dream of going independent while solving for short-term economic requirements they might have? That's the key to this episode. First and foremost, they might take a loan. Industry thought leaders posit that selling equity is actually the most expensive form of financing, especially in a low-interest environment. The most entrepreneurial prospective breakaway advisors are the ones most willing to go this route, that is to take a loan, because they are in it for the long haul and place little value on the short-term upside of a transition bonus or cash in a deal. It's not that the short-term upside isn't welcome, it's just that they recognize that short-term upside comes at a cost. They're realistic. They know that they need startup capital, but are very willing to bet on themselves to borrow whatever money they need to buy their freedom, set up shop, but not looking for cash for much else. Who are the lenders? They're certainly the custodians, like Schwab, who lend money to breakaway advisors at a rate of prime minus one. They're banks like Wilmington, North Carolina, 
Live Oak, which is a community bank essentially that lends to seven verticals, one of which is the wealth management space. They're local community banks in an advisor's own market where the advisor has a personal relationship with the banker or president of the bank and is able to get preferential terms. The lenders are firms like Hightower Advisors or Dynasty Financial Partners and many other service providers and platform firms that would love to facilitate more breakaway movers. So what are the pros of this approach? Again, the approach of taking a loan as opposed to selling equity. It's cheaper than selling equity, and it allows the advisor to retain 100% equity ownership in his new business, and thus 100% of the upside. The cons of this approach is that some people are just naturally averse to debt and believe that there is less risk in taking on a partner, selling equity that is, and some are not able to get favorable terms for one reason or another. Also, and probably most importantly, until the loans are paid back, it can create a drag on the profitability of the business. So what are some other options as a way of monetizing in the short run? The second is to sell equity. Because wirehouse advisors are indoctrinated to believe that any deal where there is no upfront transition money is a bad one, many will opt to go independent and sell equity. And again, the key is selling equity. No one gives any sort of transition money free and clear. So in the wirehouse world, you're essentially selling 100% of your equity in order to be an employee and get paid a deal, which is structured as a forgivable loan. Any number of firms would love to be your partner. From Focus Financial Partners, who is a boutique private equity firm and the largest investor in the independent space, to Dynasty Financial Partners, who recently launched a program called RPN, which is Revenue Participation Note, which allows an advisor to sell 10% of his revenue to them in return for a tax-deferred good bit of cash and the ability to buy that share back at any time. There are many private investors, clients even, family offices and private equity firms that would love to invest in highly annuitized quality wealth management businesses. Generally speaking, investors in businesses would look to buy anything from a minority share at, say, 10% of revenue to a majority ownership stake at, say, 50% or more of EBITDA to buying the whole thing where you would become an employee of a larger RIA or quasi-independent firm. The pros of this approach, again, selling any form of equity, is that it allows an advisor to take meaningful chips off the table, to use as startup capital, but also as a way of monetizing all or a portion of the business with preferential tax treatment. It also allows an advisor to have a strategic partner, a guide, an advisor to the business, if you will. The cons of this approach, again, of selling equity, is that most advisors don't understand that transition money offered is a loan. It's not cash being offered free and clear. 
all deals are structured as forgivable loans that tie you to that firm for nine years on average. And during that time, you're an employee with little control. Selling equity is the most expensive form of financing, especially because with the exception of the case of Dynasty's Revenue Participation Note Program, most equity buyers are not patient investors. They want a good amount of operational control, and most impactfully, they're permanent partners in the business, meaning an advisor is essentially permanently selling his upside. While selling equity may give an advisor confidence in the short term, it may not always be the best long-term play. So are there any other options for monetizing in the short term? The answer is yes. The third option is to become what we would call a quasi-independent or associate with an already established independent firm that would pay significant transition money in the short term. This is probably one of the most popular and ever-accelerating options in the industry. So in this ever-expanding landscape, there are more and more quasi-independent firms popping up, each with its own unique value proposition and economics being offered. Almost every established, well-capitalized independent firm, usually in the RIA space, is looking to recruit top advisor talent. What are the pros of this approach? Again, being quasi-independent or tucking into or associating with an established RIA firm. The advisor doesn't have to build something from scratch. He gets to leverage an already built-out robust infrastructure, already built-out technology, and has mentors to learn from. It's actually an ideal situation for the advisor that likes the idea of breaking away from a major firm, but isn't really interested in becoming a business owner. Some of the more notable quasi-independent options would be First Republic Bank's Wealth Management Unit, which seems to be the hottest brand in wealth management these days, Steward Partners, which is under the Raymond James umbrella, William Blair out of Chicago, a mid-market investment bank, and Greg Fleming's soon-to-be-launched Rockefeller Capital Management. What are the cons of this approach? An advisor may feel more independent and love the culture of this new firm, but make no mistake, they're still an employee. You're building someone else's brand and firm. There's nothing wrong with it. You just need to know that going in. So what's really important to note is that while these options offer an advisor the opportunity to de-risk the move in the short term to some degree, none of them equal the kind of money that wirehouses and other major firms are offering as transition packages or recruiting deals. So here's the key. If you are unwilling to accept any risk at all, need to be made completely whole for everything you leave on the table, and don't place a lot of value on the long-term upside that independence offers or that you believe verily in your ability to grow outside of your current firm, then definitively, independence is not for you. So while it may be exciting 
Very definitely, we've said throughout this podcast series that independence is not for everyone. And what we just said is the clearest example of who it's not for. Unless you can be long-term greedy and are willing to accept some risk and leave some chips on the table, independence is likely not for you. We've talked throughout this podcast series about the benefits of independence. I think it's worth reviewing them quickly here again, because it's logical to wonder, so why would an advisor give up the opportunity to de-risk a move completely by monetizing the business in the short term for maximum dollars and opt instead to be independent, where it's all about taking some risk and looking out into the long term? So again, the benefits of independence in a nutshell are as follows, and they're all essentially long-term benefits. It's about the ability to create a legacy and build equity, the ability to customize the client service experience, the ability to shop the street for anything and everything, to essentially create competition for price and service by becoming a buy-side advocate for clients. And what we mean by shopping for anything, anything from loans to investment banking, structured products, trust, financial planning capabilities, technology, essentially anything and everything. It's about the ability to customize one's succession plan. It's about the ability to create additional revenue streams by offering services such as concierge, tax planning, bill pay, loan management, and consulting, and to charge for those services. It's about the ability to add inorganic growth to the mix, to recruit, to acquire, to merge. It's about the ability to capture operating leverage and the ability to offer ultra-high net worth clients or other niche clients the customized experience you feel they deserve and may be lacking. And it's the ability to lose management to the lowest common denominator. In that perfect world that we mentioned earlier, who wouldn't want those things? The answer is no advisor I've ever spoken to. But we don't live in a perfect world, and one's economic reality and risk tolerance is actually what is the greatest determinant of how one chooses to live his business life, either as an employee or a business owner. I hope that this episode helped you to get a better understanding of how you might monetize in the short term, if that is indeed one of your goals. Yet one of the greatest potentials of the independent space lies in the ability to build real enterprise value in the longer term. And that will be our focus in our next episode. We'll talk about who the buyers are for independent businesses, how those businesses are valued, and what factors most impact that value. So please join me for this next episode, as I think it will be an episode that closes the loop for many of you who have an interest in this space. Until then, I hope you'll visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for some valuable content. 
And if you're not already a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. As always, feel free to reach out to me directly, either by email or a phone if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note, as always, that requests are always handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank WealthManagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.